Okay, good morning, everyone. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 20, Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, and we can let the uh, children be dismissed. Matthew chapter 20, uh, this morning we're coming to uh, the attribute of God, the attribute of grace, attribute of grace. Matthew chapter 20 uh, gives us a story about the generous grace of God. Verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, which would be five o'clock on a typical work day, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also... Go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and received each a denarius. So when those who were hired first, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Because I am generous. So the last will be first. And the first will be last. This morning I want to talk about the grace of God. And I think to talk about the grace of God, at some level, you have to set up a contrast between mercy and grace. Okay, they're, if you will, they're, they're flip sides of the same coin. Okay, mercy is this. Mercy is the withholding of punishment that is deserved, of merit or demerit that is deserved. That is to say, what I deserve for my sin is withheld from me. That is the mercy of God. The grace of God is a free gift. That's probably the best way to say it. Grace means simply it's gratis. It's a free gift. It is the undeserved and unearned favor of God given, and this is important, it is given in the context where demerit is deserved. Okay, it's important that you see that. Okay, it is favor from God where judgment is deserved. That is what grace is. Okay, now, in the text that we're looking at this morning, you're going to find that there are two responses to grace. And, and I, I think this is true in the world that we live in. People respond differently to undeserved favor poured out on others. 
Some people are irritated by that kind of favor. Asking in their minds, oh, what did that person do to deserve the gift that they're receiving? Often children in a home do this, right? Thinking, that's not fair. Why didn't I get that, right? That kind of thinking happens at workplace, happens at all kinds of places. So we, we wrestle with grace. Sometimes it can be irritating that somebody is blessed in a way that they didn't deserve, especially when that favor didn't come to me. Right? But the other response to grace is this, and this is what you find in the hymn written by John Newton. For others, grace is amazing. It astonishes people that they could be forgiven, that the, what they have earned, judgment, is taken away and placed on Jesus Christ. And what they get in place of that is abundant favor and eternal life from God. Because the gift of God, the grace of God, Ephesians 2 says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So grace is God's goodness, God's favor, God's gratis that is shown to mankind in forgiving our sins and taking away what condemns us in God's sight and giving us the free and unearned gift of eternal life through the cross work of Jesus. Okay, so that's a fuller statement of this idea. But ultimately, I want you to see it as this. It is an undeserved free gift. Now, the text that we're looking at this morning really builds off of the previous chapter. In Matthew 19, you remember there was the discussion about the rich young ruler who wants to follow Christ. And Jesus says, hey, you can follow me, but here's what you need to do. You must sell everything you have and then come and follow me. The man is downcast. He's unwilling to make such a sacrifice to follow Jesus. So he goes off and the disciples then, they they wrestle with this, asking who can be saved then? I mean, if this rich young man who was religious in his orientation can't be rescued or is unable to be rescued, then what about us, right? And this is the question that Peter asked. If you look back in chapter 19 and verse 27, Peter answered him, okay, in this context of this guy's unwilling to leave everything, here's what he says. We have left everything to follow you. We have, we have impoverished ourselves to follow Christ. You remember back through the story of the disciples, right? Most of them left their means of living, their means of income, in order to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. In Peter's mind, what is he thinking? He's thinking like a religious man. Right? We have left everything, and so the natural question that Peter has is, what, what then will there be for us? Verse 29, Jesus says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times, that is, a hundredfold, 100 times 100, a 10,000 times return on their investment. As much. And will also inherit eternal life. But then Jesus says this, because this is the qualifier. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. Meaning at some point in the future accounting, there's going to be a reversal, something that will surprise many of us in the kingdom of God. Jesus then goes in to teach this parable that is is somewhat amazing. And this parable now is given not to rebuke Peter, not to say, Peter, you just don't understand. It's a parable that's given to redirect him. Why? Because Peter, in many ways, has expressed a deep passion and love for God. He's sacrificed to follow Christ. He doesn't need to be rebuked. What he needs is to be redirected. And this parable now is told in response to the question of Peter, What will we receive? We left everything. What will there be for us? This parable is the response of God's grace to Peter. And in a sense, 
what Jesus is saying to Peter is this. Peter, what's coming to you as a follower of Jesus by grace through faith alone is more amazing than you can comprehend. Peter, it's going to blow your mind. The purpose of the parable is to say, Peter, what is coming to you, however, is not coming to you as a result of what you have earned, of religious practice and performance. It is coming to you as a measure of God's grace poured out so wonderfully and powerfully into your life. So we move then into this story about this farmer. And there's a number of ways that you could say this. You could say that he is a generous landowner. Okay, as you read through the story, I think you could certainly come to that kind of a conclusion. I think you could also say, this guy seems like eccentric, right? When you look at the pay scale, it seems like, okay, this guy, how does he stay in business? All right, if he operates like that, if he hires people who are going to cost him to have him on the payroll, how does he survive? Okay, what's the mistake that we make? The mistake that we make is that we look at this story as if it is a story about agriculture and business in the first century. Okay, it is not. It is the story that Jesus is telling to expand upon, to magnify the grace of God that comes to everyone who believes. So let's just quickly work our way through the story. First of all, we find this landowner or farmer, an eccentric man. At harvest time is, is probably when this account takes place because you would hire migrant workers, day workers, to come onto your payroll and on a daily basis, you would pay them to help to harvest the crops that you had grown through the year. He goes down probably to the local market. If you've been in any of the city areas uh, in New Jersey, you'll find if you go to the local quick checker, Krausers, that there are day workers, people that are there, typically they're immigrants in the context of the United States, that are looking for a day's work. And many employers will go and hire people to work for the day. All right, it's that kind of a picture that is being put before us here. These, in this context, there are people that live day to day or paycheck to paycheck. We would call them sustenance farmers, okay? If they don't get their pay for the day, that night, they don't get their, to feed their family. And that's an important part of what's going on in this story that Jesus is telling. In fact, in Deuteronomy 24, so important was this understanding of day workers that it, 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 was pun, it was a punishable offense to not pay a day worker on the day that they worked, okay? So in, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, if you withhold pay from a day worker, you will be judged because he is poor and counting on it, All right? And this, if you think about when Jesus says, pray that God will give you bread for the day, Okay, that's almost unimaginable for us in our culture. Why? Because most of us have cabinets or pantries that have an abundance of food. And most of us, if we couldn't get to the grocery store for a week, we're not going to die. Okay, but that wasn't the case in the ancient world. Very important part of this story. It's part of the tension that rises. All right, what's the next thing that happens? After he goes to the marketplace, he begins to hire workers. At 6 a.m., at the beginning of the day, by the hourly accounting according to the Jewish calendar, 6 a.m., he hires a group of workers with them. And you'll find this is the only group of workers. He agrees to them or contracts with them for a price. Okay, and that is that he will give them a denarius for their day's work. That was the wage for a day worker. Okay, so he, he contracts with this first group. Now, here's the question. Did they insist upon a contract? That we don't know. 
Okay? But somehow, with them, there's a contract, and with all the others, there's no contract. Adds a little bit of color or flavor to the story. He comes back to the marketplace at 9 a.m., hires more people to work. At noon, he comes back, hires more people to work. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he comes back and hires more workers. And then at 5 o'clock, he comes back and he says to the people that are there, why are you standing here? And they, their response is, what? Well, no one, <clears throat> no one gave us work. And so what do they do? They respond to him, and uh, he sends them into the work field for an hour with no discussion of what they're going to be paid. A couple times along the way, he says, I'll pay you what's fair. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I kind of think in this last case, that's probably also the way that it worked. At the end of the day, 6 o'clock in the evening, as the sun begins to set, it's payday. Verse 9. It says the workers, or I'm sorry, verse 8 is what was important here. It says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones and going to the first. Now, here's what you're going to find, okay? At the end of chapter 19, the first will be last and the last will be first. In the middle of the parable, you find this being worked out now. Those that were hired first get paid last. Those that were hired last get paid first, okay? Why? Because that's the point of the story. And then when you get to the end of it, in verse 16 of chapter 20, you find the same thing again. Okay, those that are first will be last. Those that are last will be first. Okay, so that's the, the, the tension that rises here. And it's a bit of a, an irony. This is a reversal of order or a reversal of expectations. That's what grace is always doing. Okay, it's always shocking the norms. It's always loving the unlovely. That's what, that's what God's grace is all about. And that's why some respond to it with amazement. Some respond to it with irritation. The performance-oriented person doesn't like grace. The sinner who has been restored by the power of God loves grace and loves to sing about it as we did this morning. Verse 9 then, we find this. Workers hired about the 11th hour came and they each received a denarius. And there, you'll notice this, okay? In verse 9, is there any complaint on their part? Why don't they complain? It's what they agreed to work for. Right? They had a contract with the guy. I'm sorry, the ones that come at the 11th hour, they receive a denarius, and I'm reversing the order. What happens? They're, what are they thinking? How long did they work? One twelfth of a day. How much pay do they receive? They receive a full day's wage. Okay, so what are the others thinking? The ones that are hired at 3 o'clock and 12 o'clock and 9 o'clock and 6 o'clock, what are they, they're like, oh, this is... We hit pay dirt here, okay? This is going to be wonderful. That would be conventional wisdom. What is Jesus doing? He's reversing things, okay? And he's going he's to play a reversal on them in this story. <clears throat> so when those came who were hired first, now what, what I want you to notice is this, okay? He goes to those that are hired at 5 o'clock and they drops all the way down to those that are hired at 6 o'clock and completely ignores the others. Why? This is the point of the story, Okay, the point of the story is the utter disparity and the utter despair that this tension in this story causes. Those that are hired at 5 o'clock and work one hour are going to receive the same pay as those that were hired at 6 o'clock and worked for 12 hours. Those that, and here's what they say, we did the hard work, we bore the heat of the day, we went out and cut all the wheat down and bundled it, they just carried the bundles to the barn. And so there's a sense of frustration and, if you will, aggravation on their part. What do you find? You find this. You find that the master is progressively generous in his payment. 
Okay, that's the idea. There's a scale that's working, but the scale is odd. It's a little twisted. So from this story, what do we learn? From this fact that, that one group receives 12 times as much as those that work the 12-hour day, what do we learn from this story, and what irritation does it raise? And the first thought is this. God's grace can be irritating, and secondly, we'll look at this fact. God's grace can be absolutely stunning and amazing. Okay, verse 11. What's the response of those that work the 12-hour day when they realize that they're paid the same as those that worked one hour? Okay, what's their response? Their response is, we are so happy for you guys. You got what you didn't deserve. And we, you know what, we, we just feel so blessed that God has demonstrated to you such grace because this story is a picture of God. But it's not, that's not their response. That's not our response, Right? And if you're traveling along in a pack of cars on Route 78 and the policeman picks you out of the pack and pulls you over and gives you a ticket, as you're sitting there in your mind, you're not saying, you know what, I am really grateful for the white Camaro. And I'm really grateful for the guy driving the Beetle. I, you know, they, got, they got off and, and it's okay. Is that how we respond? Oh man, we, we, we seethe. And we're sure we weren't even going as fast as they were, even though we were riding right beside them, Right? We don't have joy in the blessing that comes to others. It's the point of the story. This happens in every workplace. You know what most people are concerned about? Most people are concerned about the fact that they're working harder than their coworker, and their coworker is getting the same pay. Right? And that's the kind of thing that gets talked about around the water cooler, doesn't it? Many people trying to figure out, how much can I get away with? Not how much can I do for my paycheck, but how much can I get away with not doing? And it becomes what? It becomes a source of irritation. Why? We don't like people getting what they don't deserve. And it's in that sense that grace, it's, it's an irritating aspect of God. But you must embrace it. And you must understand it fully to love God for who he is. Because grace is a characteristic, is an attribute. It is part of who God is. When he demonstrates grace, it is simply God showing who he really is. Now, I want to say this. These guys complain. This grace irritates them to the point that they, and the idea in the Greek is that they continue murmuring. They just, every time they talk to each other about it, it just keeps coming up, keeps coming up. They're just, they're seething, they're bristling at the idea of such love and grace. And what I want to say is this, I understand that response because the purpose of the story is to magnify grace. And when grace is magnified in that kind of disproportionate way, what happens? It's irritating. Right? Your children do this. Why did so-and-so get this when I did all this and I only got this? Right? There's this, this hankering for fairness, right? So we, we just want to fight for that. But I think the question we need to ask ourselves in God's economy, in the kingdom, is this. Do you really want what you deserve from God? I mean, that's the point of the story. Do you want what you deserve from God or do you want to experience His grace? Some complain, and we understand the response. Jesus is trying to draw us into attention. He wants us to experience the, experience the upsetness of those that were hired first. And the truth is, when you read the story, you're thinking, this guy's weird. This, this boss does not understand how to keep his employees happy. He's a bad manager. Some calculate, sharpen the pencil, verse 12. These men who were hired last... Worked only one hour. So whether they pulled out the calculator and they're, they're standing before the boss arguing their case. 
for why they deserve more. Notice what they say. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And can we be honest and say, isn't that the the real issue here? You treated us as if we stand on the same ground. And we can't abide that. We can't can't tolerate that. It's, It's not right. If word gets out about this, it's not a good thing. It's humiliating. But you're going to find this, folks. Grace will also humiliate you. It'll humble you. Their logic is we did more, therefore we deserve more. Their rate of pay, the argument it is, was 12 times ours. And here's what they're kind of saying. This is crazy. This is crazy. And here's what I would argue this morning. I would argue that when you understand God's grace fully, it will always appear crazy. It, will, it should astonish you. It should amaze you. It should never make sense. Because that's the nature and essence of grace. What's our natural tendency? Our natural tendency is to think in terms of merit. We think that God's love for us is based upon how well we're living. Not grace. Not rich favor, undeserved. We, we tend to think of our relationship with God in terms of how well am I doing today so that when I pray, I expect an answer from God because I did good today. That's a religious mindset, which is completely contrary to the thrust of this story. The last note that you'll take in this area of God's grace being irritating is found in verse 15 as he moves to the end. The owner says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Well, that's strong, isn't it? And, and the, the word here, are you envious? Some of your translations, you might find it down in the footnote. It'll say, why is your eye evil? Okay, and here's the way it works, right? Somebody receives a benefit or blessing they don't deserve. You know that. It's, irrit- it's eating at you. So what do you do? You glare at them. Right? When they're around, you give them what? You give them the evil eye. Jesus says, are you envious? Meaning what? Are you upset? Because I was generous. He's pushing them to realize that what's really upsetting them is not that the owner was unfair. They agreed to wages. The wages they received are exactly what they agreed to. But that's the religious mindset, isn't it? The religious mindset never produces joy. It can't be happy when others have received a blessing or a benefit or a job or a promotion or a blessing from mom and dad children. It just can't be happy. Why? It doesn't understand grace, free and abundant. It's irritated rather than amazed. Can I ask you this question this morning? Are you grateful for the undeserved blessings of others? Honestly. When you hear someone that you don't like or that you you know them, you know their reputation. And they get blessed. Is there anything in my heart, in your heart, that says, you know what? I'm thankful for that. See, that's the response of grace. If these men who started work at 6 in the morning were gracious and were overwhelmed by the the incredible generosity of this landowner, they would have... They would have stood back and wept, right? Because we see stories like that. We watch a movie like that where this just amazing grace is poured out. Somebody's let go that deserves to die. And it just, it, it, it causes a wave of emotion to come over you. Why? You just, that is amazing. 
See, it's not until God's grace and favor towards you is experienced and understood that you can then begin to experience joy for the blessings and benefits of God in the lives of others. That's where God wants us to be, people of joy, not a critical spirit, not irritated by his grace. And I think the best way to kind of respond to some of this part of this story is to ask yourself this question. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. Wages are what? Wages are earned. Okay? Wages earned. What I deserve for my sin is the judgment of God. What God gives me when I come to him in simple faith, repenting of my sin and trusting in the work of Jesus, by grace, what does he give me? He gives me the exact opposite. He doesn't just take away the punishment. He also gives me, Romans 6.23 says, the gift of God that is eternal life, the grace of God. And that should amaze us. You see, the problem for the first workers of the day is this. Paychecks don't make us grateful. Okay, paychecks don't make us grateful. All right, test. How many of you have ever written your employer a thank you note for your paycheck? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be thankful for your job. Okay, and you might express that gratitude. But I don't know too many people. In fact, if there's anybody in this room that would do that, it would probably be my wife. Okay, she's the thank you note queen and loves to express gratitude. So... For everyone else, okay? I, I have never been prompted to write a thank you note for my paycheck. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but why? When you get your paycheck, what are you thinking? I worked this many hours. I've received this remuneration. That's the agreement. It's, it's like an emotionless passing, right? But when you get your bonus, what happens? Well, it kind of depends on how you see your bonus, See, if all year you're the person at the water cooler seething because you work harder than anybody else and all these other people get away with this, even a bonus won't make you happy. What is a bonus? A bonus is grace. It's unearned. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. Okay, it's the way you say thank you. Right? That's the gospel. The gospel is not the paycheck. I thank God I will not get what I deserve. But I'm thankful for his grace these men couldn't even be thankful for the paycheck that they got. Which leads us to this understanding of God's grace that is amazing. And these are lessons about God that emerge from this text. Number one, very clear, God is fair and just. Okay, because the landowner can say to them, verse 13, he answered one of them, friend. And that's an irony in this story. Okay, he says, friend, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's weird. Especially in the, in, in the Near Eastern culture in the ancient times, a, a boss did not relate to his employees in that kind of a way. There was a, a huge disparity between the working class, the day worker, and the owner. So there's some, what is it? Same thing you find Jesus doing. Over and over, he appeals to people. He's trying to draw people. He's attracting them to his grace. He says, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? It's a, it's a catch-22. Yeah, well then, and what does he say? Well then, go, take your pay, and go home. You have no ground of, of disgust. You have no ground for your irritation with my generosity. It shouldn't bother you. 
He is a fair God. If he gave us what we deserve, we would be damned. That's what I deserve. But the Son of God was damned for me on Calvary's cross, bore the wrath of God that I deserve, so that in forgiving me, he is fair. Why? Because the debt that I owe was paid by someone else. It's still fair. It still justifies the grace of God that comes to us in Christ. So first thought is, that God in what he does here is, or this landowner, is utterly fair. Secondly, he is generous in his favor. Verse 14, take your pay and go. I, and I just love this, this is like, okay, he's definitely an owner talking. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Okay, now, when the landowner says that to you in the ancient culture, you know what you did? You turned and walked away. Because what was he saying? He's saying, you know, if I want to be generous to people with my money, with my resources, I have every right to be generous. And so he moves into this very loving expression. So he is generous towards some of them. They don't, they don't grumble because they received too little pay. They grumble because they, they grumbled because less deserving received the same pay. And that's the root of the issue. What's really bothering them. What's really kind of gnawing at them. When you dig down and you uncover it is, they got the same as us. And that's not fair. And what's the landowner say? You're right. It's generous. And, and right there it becomes, here's the picture of the whole parable. This is a parable about the grace of God. That when God forgives you, it's not fair. It's not what you deserve. It's not what you merit. It is grace. A grace that will irritate the religious hearted person. They just, they don't like that somebody that bad. I mean, that person that I went to school with that did all this to so-and-so. And we go back and forth. You just you can't get it to square. And you, oh, grace is the only thing that will give you freedom to let it go. When you understand that, boy, the favor I've gotten, I don't deserve. The love of God towards me, I don't deserve. And folks, I'm going to tell you, this issue of an envious, evil eye will destroy your life. If you don't let the grace of God amaze you, it will irritate you and it will destroy your joy. It will just eat at you. It will bother you. It will trouble you. Because people around you aren't getting what they deserve. Well, neither do I. And neither do you. Let the grace of God amaze you. The only complaint that they could throw down at his feet was that he was generous in a way that was disproportionate. Can you say it's bad business? I mean, did they have an argument there? Yeah, it's stupid. If you hire people at 5 o'clock and have them work till 6 o'clock and pay them for a full day, you're going to go bankrupt. It's not wise. Well, it's not the point. It's not fair. It's not the point. It's grace. Remember, this isn't, this isn't a story told to teach us how to run a business. It's a story that's told to show us how gracious God is. And as you think it through from that angle, I think the grace of God will begin to amaze you. Why did this man go out at 5 o'clock and hire these other people? It's an important part of the story. Why does he go out at 5? Did it help him to hire people at 5 o'clock and pay them for one hour's wages? Did that help his business? Was he personally motivated by gain, by profit to do this? No, he said, that's just stupid. That's irrational. Why does he do it? 
What kind of people are these? They're day workers. They've come to the end of the day and they have needs that are unmet. Hiring people at five o'clock, working one hour and paying them for 12 is sheer grace. Do you see? This landowner reached out to them because they had a need. Not because he did. They had a need. The folks on the cross of Christ, that's the gospel. Christ doesn't move towards you because he saw something so lovely and irresistible and cute and cuddly in you. That's certainly not in my case. Okay, no, that's, that's not grace. That's merit. That's religion. I'll do good and I will have the favor of God. I earned it. And have no pity on the poor bums that can't get a job with God. The whole point is this. They had a need. He met the need. They were day workers. If you don't have bread for the day, you go home embarrassed. You can't take care of your family. And this landowner goes back down to town. Why? Because he knows there'll be people there. And he is just, he is outrageously, magnificently, amazingly, and irritatingly generous. And he is, in that, a picture of your God. If you know him. If you're religious, it's not a picture of the God that you serve. Because you work on a quid pro quo basis, right? I come, I do my religious stuff, and God honors me for what I did. I deserve it. And here's the truth. Most religious people, when you share the gospel with them, cannot imagine God rejecting them forever. They cannot imagine that God would do that. And it's why you struggle in sharing the gospel. Why? Because you're trying to communicate a grace that is astonishing and amazing. And that's what this story is all about. The grace of God to us in Christ. Why does he do it? Well, the, the last thought is this from verse 14. He says, I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Verse 15, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Okay, what's it say about grace? Grace is sovereign. It is sovereign in its distribution. Don't I have the right to show favor to this person or that person if I desire to do so? And folks, if God has worked in your heart, please understand this. If he has drawn you to trust in Christ, please understand that it is not a result of good things that you have done. It wasn't that he saw you and just couldn't resist you. It was his love and grace. Because every person in this room has something in common. We sin and fall short of the glory of God. We deserve the wages of death for our sin. God in his grace reaches down sovereignly in powerful ways. Changes people's hearts. Brings them to repentance. Causes them to trust by grace through faith in the blood of Christ. And they are changed. And those that are changed are amazed. And sometimes we can slip back into the religious mindset though, can't we? Kind of slip back into the pay-as-you-go mindset. God wants to free us from that. And amaze us with his grace. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to do it by just touching base on the story of another latecomer. Because what we would say is this. All those that come to work at 5 o'clock are latecomers, right? <clears throat> I think of the story of the thief on the cross. Okay? 
If you love grace, guess what? It is one of your favorite stories in the entire Bible. And if you're religious, you just don't get it. You don't get it. Because here's what happens. A man is dying for murder on a cross beside Christ. He begins to comprehend the scope of God's grace in Jesus. He begins somehow to understand and grasp that God, through the Son of God, Jesus on the cross beside him, is loving him and is bearing the consequence of his sin. And he cries out to Jesus for what? For undeserved favor. What does he say? Lord, remember me. You know what most of us would say? I'd rather forget someone like that. That's the scum of the earth. A person that kills an innocent person. We're thinking what? They're the scum of the earth. We don't have time for them. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. You know what I think that is? I think that is bold. You can use the word audacious. Request for grace. Lord, remember me. You know what the religious response is? Sorry. It's too late for you. You know what grace says? Not hell. But today, paradise. Jesus can look at that man and say, today you will be with me. And all of the high priests around the cross shrieked. What did they say? Same thing the land, the workers say. That's not fair. That's irritating. That's aggravating. That's really troubling. I'm bristling. I'm angry. You can't, God, you can't work like that. We've worked hard. We've done everything we could to earn your favor. And you're going to give that guy away in for free at his death? When he deserves what he's getting. Folks, that's the grace of God. A latecomer is homeward bound. Do you see? That's grace. And when you see it, 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 it won't, it's not going to bother you anymore. You want to kill the evil eye in your life? You know how you kill the evil eye, the envious eye? You know how you kill it? Look at the grace of God in Christ to you. That was poured out on you, so Ephesians 2 says, so that in the ages to come, he might put on display the amazing grace that he has towards us. It fills us with gratitude. And you know what? That kind of grace I want to talk about. That kind of hope, I can approach anybody out on the street and talk about that kind of grace. This grace is the very essence of God's nature. It is the means of hope for all sinners. Because where sin abounds, Romans 5.20 says, grace superabounds. Where sin is large, God's grace is bigger. So there's no one here this morning that could say, you know what, Pastor Tim, I've been thinking about coming to faith in Christ, but my sin is so evident and large. Where sin abounds, grace, Paul says, superabounds. It, it leaps over it and makes it look like nothing. Grace means my performance never strengthens God's love for me. And grace means that there is hope for progress. You know what the last verse of the Bible says? I never thought of this before. You know what the last verse of the Bible says? Revelation 22, 21. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Isn't that awesome? From the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, to the end of the Bible, it's all about God rescuing sinners on the basis of his audacious, amazing, magnificent grace that irritates the religious. But it's the song that the sinner has always wanted to hear. And when you hear it, it will ring true. It will draw you. It will attract you. And by the grace of God, 
It will change you, even if you are a late comer into the game. Father, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, 